Welcome to a new world of entertainment. The Ultimate Film and Television Podcast. Featuring Mike Winkler. Daniel English. From Condiment Games, Jeremy Larson. And Jason Kobasic. Created by friends. All film lovers. We feature in-depth podcast discussions. Interactive Facebook Live episodes. And celebrity interviews. Subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms. Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast. On this episode. Baby, you don't know what you what Something in my dreams. There was a girl. And you are? Sandy. I got this kind of gift. I can see people, places, things others can't. This is the closest most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? They really happened. What did you see? Leaving ghosts. I want to report a murder. You witnessed the murder last night, but you believe this was a vision from the past. The guy that killed her is still like that. I have to stop him. Where are you going? I know what you did. I've done a lot of things. You can have to be more specific, love. You can't save me. Last night in Soho. Welcome in, lights, camera, action, fellow listeners. It's been a long time, but it we are finally been. back. I'm excited to get back into action here. 
Well, the last podcast we did was the final Terminator retrospective back in September. So we are about two weeks removed from that. But uh, we've had some changes. Two, uh, two weeks removed? Do you mean two months removed? I mean, two months removed. Yeah. Jeez, I wish it was only two weeks removed. Um, but we, so we have some changes. Um, Martin Houston will be joining the podcast going forward. He is not in the new intro yet. But he will be once he comes he officially be, on board. Once we get him in uh, an episode or two here, we'll get him added in. Um, mm-hmm. Another big thing is we are looking forward to seeing the return of a couple of our uh, cast members as well to the podcast. Yeah, Jeremy Larson will be returning. Um, we're still waiting to hear where Dan English is going to hey, be. What's up, Jeremy? Long time no see. What's up, man? We were just talking about you. Literally, just talking about you. Uh, we're talking about the return of Jeremy Larson for our Supernatural series retrospective. That is going to be oh, a oh, lot oh. of fun. Not just the return of Jeremy Larson, the return of Condiment Games' own Jeremy Larson. Oh, yeah, Condiment Games' own. I have not seen Jeremy on his Condiment Games lately. I have not seen any of his streams. I'm looking forward to seeing more of uh, of his streams. They're always entertaining. Oh, of course. Um, but yeah, so we'll be doing Supernatural. Uh, four episodes for that. Three seasons apiece to break down all 15 seasons. I, yes, I everybody. I bet you could, Jeremy. What's that? Oh, Jeremy says, I could feel my name being mentioned. Your ears were burning there, Jeremy. <laughs> but yeah, covering 15 seasons worth of Supernatural, that is going to be a so, real doozy. the way... So for that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the way we're looking at this, we're tra- we're debating on how we're going to break this down, uh, because this is obviously going to be multiple episodes that we're covering the retrospective on this. There's no way we're covering 15 seasons in one episode. Well, we're probably uh, going to do four episodes, three seasons apiece. That's probably the best way to so handle it. A way I'm looking at it is we have the two options of we either do five episodes at three seasons apiece. Or we have three episodes at five seasons apiece. Yeah, that's what I meant. Five episodes for three. I, I like the five episodes, three seasons apiece. I like I that too because it gives us mm-hmm. more time to discuss um, the seasons in full a little bit more. Yeah. And it's not going to be as much as that we're going to be covering. Yeah, so the show... Really, like I said, we can give it a little bit more time to explain. <laughs> The show is a funny, fickle thing because there are some seasons that are worth discussing more in depth than others. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how each episode is going to break down and how much debate or discussion is going to be with each season. Because I know when we get into the later seasons, we get into some more, I think, controversial type discussions. Some of the choices the show may have made along the way um, and such. So it's going to be an interesting podcast. It really is. I'm looking forward to it a lot. I'm looking forward. I know to that just about it. everyone that's going to be involved in this project is really looking forward to discussing Supernatural. Supernatural is going to be a lot of fun. A lot of good laughs. A lot of good drama. It's got a little bit of everything. Um, but tonight's episode, uh, Jason and I just decided we, he and I saw this new movie from Edgar Wright, the man that brought us Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. A little different for him. Last night in Soho. I very much was not knowing what to expect for this movie. Mm -mm. And I know that we had been discussing uh, 
Oh, glad Thanks, to see you, Jeremy. All right, but yeah, like I was saying, uh, I, I know that when we were watching it, we're telling you that I just was not feeling the movie at all. At and first. then it just took a turn that neither of us were really expecting that really just kind of threw me out of the chair almost and almost drew me into the movie. It really made me start enjoying it. Well, the visuals here were, were already spectacular out of the gate. But yeah, you're right. When the movie was going along, I wasn't sure what to expect. By the way, because... ladies and gentlemen, obviously, spoiler alert, oh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it of yet, course. if you're planning on it. When I start saying the plot synopsis, it will spoil the whole entire movie. So I recommend that if you are listening and you don't want to get spoiled, definitely close your ears for the plot synopsis. Um, so anyway, so what I was saying was when the movie was going on, you and I saw the teaser trailer that came out with a couple movies that we saw months prior. The trailer we just saw for the intro, I never saw that trailer before today. Neither and if I would have saw that trailer, I might have been a little mad because I felt like it gave away a lot. And I think a lot of the surprise you and I had would have been kind of gone if we would have saw that trailer. You see, I don't know. That honestly might have intrigued me more into wanting to give this a bigger chance before, you know, obviously everything that happened in the film happened. Right. Yeah, I mean... I don't think it gave away as much as you think it did, Mike. I think it... I think it honestly gave it a sense of... Like that trailer we just saw gave it a sense of identity almost compared to what we saw in the theaters for the trailers. True. I think the only reason why I personally prefer the teaser is because trailers today have a knack of giving away way too much, whether it be plot or too much visuals or too much plot development, whatever it is. That first trailer reminded me of some trailers of old when it just hinted ever so lightly what it wanted to sell. And that first trailer had me sold because it had me intrigued. It had me like, really it had curious. Me intrigued, but it didn't really give anything away at all, though. Like, the point of a trailer, mm. yes, is to draw you in. Yes, I right. get that. And to make you, you know, want to see what's supposed to happen in the film. Right. It's not supposed to give everything away. But the point of a trailer, I think, is to give you that tiny little taste of what the film is about. The trailers that we've been seeing did not do that whatsoever. No, no, it didn't. Um, and see that I guess I that's the biggest that part of trailers a, today. I think it, that could have been a part of the reason why this movie hasn't done so well in the box office because people just had no idea what they were going to be expecting at all for this film. That's true, and I think you know that is the biggest problem today with movies. And I and I know we're all in agreement that a lot of trailers today give away far too much, especially for these big blockbuster movies. They want to show like every little piece of a flash, and sometimes by doing that, they're giving away so many twists and turns. Whereas in this trailer we just saw, there was still just enough there that it didn't give away the big points of the film. Maybe some of the visuals and some of the scenes they showed might have been too much, but it didn't give away too much plot. No, it didn't. Uh, but it was like me and you had just discussed prior to uh, podcast starting for this episode. Mm-hmm. To me, after watching this movie and giving it time to think, this it gave me... Like I had discussed, it was a almost girl with a dragon tattoo meets Donnie Darko vibe. 
Yeah, uh, that Donnie Darko situation where 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 the creature or the or the thing in Jake Gyllenhaal's head was following him around, and then you go to the Girl and Dragon Tattoo was very much about the rape culture, and this movie was very much about kind of in a way with that whole Me Too thing going on today, but it didn't get to a point where it was overdone. It showed that men in the 60s sometimes were too aggressive with women. They were too overbearing. They treated them like it's not even meat. a matter. Of that. It's not even a matter of just that. I mean, it's all that you know, like you had just said, but mm-hmm. that was, I think that was just the culture back then. It was especially in, uh, um, Britain at that time. Yeah, no, that was the culture. Uh, and it just kind of shows, you know, exactly what it was like. And I thought the movie did a very good job portraying that and really showing us what the depths of London could really be like in the 60s. Like, even looking at it today, like, if you talk to anybody from uh, London at all, mm-hmm. like, they'll tell you a lot. Of, like, it's not entirely false, like, hearing... Like, even nowadays, like, there's some really, really shady parts of London. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt it at all. The end of the film, um, Edgar Wright, if it's all during the end credits, they were showing different scenes of emptiness of London. Um, yeah. Edgar Wright actually was walking around London late at night during COVID last year, and he saw how empty the streets looked. So he decided to take his camera and get shots of all the emptiness of London and how creepy it really can be if you really look deep enough. Mm-hmm. And it really is. And I, I think he portrayed that very well. So let's get into the plot synopsis. This is going to be uh, courtesy of Wikipedia. So if you have not seen the movie yet and you don't want to know anything else, close your at ears this point, At this point, this would be a good time to go ahead and tune out from the podcast. Okay, so here we go. Eloise Ellie Turner, played by Tamaza McKenzie, loves the music and fashion of the swinging 60s and dreams of becoming a fashion designer. Her mother, also a designer, killed herself during Ellie's childhood. Ellie occasionally sees her mother's ghost in mirrors. Ellie moves from a rural home near Redruth, Cornwall to London in order to study at the London College of Fashion, where she has trouble fitting in with her peers, particularly her snobbish roommate, Hurricane Jacosta, played by Sanoa Carlson. Only John, another student, is sympathetic to her. Unhappy in the halls of residence, Ellie moves into a bedsit in Goodridge Place, I think Goodridge Place, owned by the elderly Mrs. Collins, played by the late Diana Rigg. That night, Ellie has a vivid dream in which she is transported back in time to the 1960s. At the Café de Paris, she observes a confident young blonde woman named Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, inquiring about becoming a singer at the club. Sandy begins a relationship with a charming teddy boy, manager Jack, played by the always conniving Matt Smith. The next morning, Ellie designs a dress inspired Speaking by Sandy. Of, sorry to cut you off here. Sure. If you don't know who some of these names are, uh, Matt Smith was one of the incarnations of the Doctor and Doctor Who. Yes. So the He's next first morning, American-born uh, actor to play that role, by the way. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, Ellie designs a dress inspired by Sandy and discovers a hickey on her neck given to her by Jack. Ellie has another dream in which Sandy successfully auditions at a Soho nightclub arranged by Jack before returning to the same bed sit that Ellie has rented. Inspired by these visions, Ellie dyes her hair blonde, changes her fashion style to match Sandy's, uses her as an inspiration for her dress designs, and gets a job at a pub. She is observed by a silver-haired man, played by the always, always interesting Trent Stamp. He recognizes similarities to Sandy. 
In further dreams, Ellie discovers Sandy is not living the life she had hoped for, and Jack begins to pimp Sandy to male business associates. In her waking life, Ellie is disturbed by monstrous apparitions that resemble Jack and the men who abuse Sandy. She flees a Halloween party she attends with John after the spirits accost her. John returns with her to baby the bedsit, where she has a vision of Jack murdering Sandy. Ellie tracks, decides to track down the silver-haired man who she believes is Jack. She goes to the police, but she is not taken seriously. Ellie attempts to find newspaper reports about Sandy's murder in the university library, but is unsuccessful, instead finding stories of local men who vanished without a trace. She is surrounded by monstrous spirits and nearby or nearly stabs Jocasta in a panic. Believing she must avenge Sandy, Ellie confronts the silver-haired man. He denies killing Sandy before being hit by a taxi. Ellie's boss is Carol, tells her that the man is not Jack, but a retired police officer named Lindsay, who we saw earlier in the film, briefly. Ellery calls him from a dream as an undercover vice officer. He tried to help Sandy escape her life of prostitution. Devastated, Ellie decides to leave London, and John drives her back to Mrs. Collins' house. She informs Miss Collins that she is leaving. Miss Collins makes her a cup of tea and tells her that a detective came by asking about Sandy's murder before revealing that she is actually Sandy, and that she killed Jack in self-defense when he threatened her with a knife. She then lured the men she was pimped back to her room and killed them all, hiding their bodies underneath the house's floorboards. Miss Collins also reveals she drugged Ellie's tea and intends to kill her to prevent telling anyone. In a scuffle, a cigarette from Miss Collins' ashtray ignites a box of records. John comes to Ellie's aid, but Miss Collins stabs him. Ellie flees to her room where the spirits of Sandy's victims beg Ellie to kill Miss Collins but she refuses. Miss Collins enters Ellie's room where she sees the spirits and is slapped by the ghost of Jack. With the emergency services outside, she attempts to slit her own throat, but is stopped by Ellie, who tells her she understands why she killed the men. Miss Collins, as Sandy, tells Ellie to save herself and John from the growing fire. Sandy stays in the building as it burns. Sometime later, Ellie, introduced as a first-year fashion student, enjoys success as her dresses are showcased at a fashion show. She is congratulated backstage by her grandmother and John, now her boyfriend. Ellie sees her mother's spirit in a mirror and then a vision of Sandy, who waves at her in the mirror and blows her a kiss as our credits roll on the screen. So before we go uh, discuss this, uh, for people wondering who Diana Rigg is, uh, since mm-hmm. this was her last uh, role that she had before her um, passing. Right. Uh, recent fans of her would recognize her from one show in particular, Game of Thrones. Who's she playing Game of Thrones? She was Elena Tyrell. Why am I not remembering her? What season? She was in there from season three to six. Okay, see, I haven't gotten that far yet, so that, that makes sense why I don't recognize her. So now I'll know what to look for. You'll be able to recognize her instantaneously as soon as you see her. Okay. Yeah, I thought, I thought, um, I don't want to get too far ahead. I want to go back to the beginning, but the fact that she actually was Sandy and the way she portrayed herself at the end, what what, was, was great from Diana Rigg. I thought that was very convincing, um, creepy, actually really creepy the way she played it off. Exactly. And then I remember me and you having this discussion in the theater, uh, as we were watching this, like, after I finally caught, like, our uh, interest as to, you know, what this movie really was about. Right. Um, 
we were having this discussion of who is Sandy? Like, who could Sandy be? Could she have somehow mm-hmm. managed to escape from that situation? We like we had different thoughts and uh, predictions. Like, could she have been the grandmother that entire time? I thought she might have been the grandmother, and then and then her and then, and then you know like, mother. And I then... had little bits. Like at the end, I re- realized that there she had to have been um, Mrs. Collins. It made sense, and 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 the thing of it is too is like remember when I told you when she was shuffling through the mail at the end, I saw really quickly Alexandra Collins on the mail, and I was like, son of a bitch. There it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought the twist was great. Um, you and I were really kept guessing up to that point because really at the time, you know, our mind well, was going. Had, not only that, but me and you had kept guessing on Jack as well because we thought yeah. that for, for a while that, you know, that old man was Jack the entire time. And well, he was so matching. Weird. He was matching the mannerisms of Matt Smith pretty well in the beginning. And here's the thing about that, too. He looks eerily like Matt Smith as it is. It mm-hmm. almost looked like Matt Smith had um, prosthetics on his face to make him appear older. It, I mean, they could have done that. I, I mean, I thought that uh, Trenna Stamp looked and enough then, like him. And then to only off. to find out that, no, it was the cop that we saw in one very brief scene throughout, in See, the movie from A Vision in the Past. That that was maybe my only complaint. I thought with the big reveal, him with him being the cop, I almost feel like we should have seen him just a tad bit more you in the flashbacks. You would have seen him more, but I mean, it did throw us both off completely that, no, it was the cop the entire time. Right. And remember how I told you, remember we said that, that the guy that played him looked very, very familiar? Yeah. He was Finnick in the Hunger Games series. No shit, really? Yep. Yep, he was Finnick. Mm-hmm. I never would have guessed that. Yep, yep. And that, that that's really what dumbfounds me. I'm wondering if on the DVD, I wonder if we're going to get some deleted scenes with him in it. Because for the kind of actor he is, I feel like they shot more of him. No, I agree. They should. They definitely should do more with him. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if we're going to get deleted scenes on, on the DVD or maybe we'll get an extended cut on the DVD. I don't know. I, I would be all in on an extended cut. I, I would love that. Oh, so would I. Um, but especially after watching the, after getting myself into this more, after mm-hmm. the first half of the movie, like, it definitely, I really want to see what they possibly cut out from this film. Yeah, I definitely think there definitely is some maybe additional plot points that might have expanded on this a little bit more. Not that it needed to, but I would love more information. I would have actually liked maybe another half hour of this movie to really go more in depth. I think the one thing that would have been really cool was getting to know Sandy a little bit more, getting to know more of her backstory before becoming to want, want before we saw her become a singer. I would have liked to know more about her backstory, you know, before London. Oh yeah, exactly. I'd love to see that as well. So I don't know if they shot any of that. I don't know if that even exists, but that's something that I wish we kind of would have got more of. And I, as I was reading some reviews online, some people on, on, on Reddit and forums were saying that they wish they would have got to know Sandy just a tad bit more to know her a little bit more personally. So when she makes that turn at the end of the film, we could get to know her a little bit more on a personal level. No, oh, yeah, for sure. 
Um, but one thing I want to talk about here before we get knee deep into some of these scenes is the performances in this movie. There, there was some incredible acting in this film. I thought very much so. Like, Both I these girls really were fantastic. Lot, I don't really know a whole lot about Anna Taylor Joy, so I can't really say much about her. But from what I like, this really the first film that I've seen her in, and. I was kind of impressed for, you know, the bits that we did get to know about her uh, character. The, the first film I ever saw her in was Split, um, where she played the victim of James McAvoy. Uh, and then she also played in The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, which is about the uh, the chess player. Yeah. Uh, she's fantastic in that, too. She also played in The New Mutants, the X-Men spinoff. Um, everything she's been in, she's been Who's fantastic. She in the New Mutants? Oh, um, let me look up the character name from that. Uh, she was... Do-do-do-do-do-do. She played Magic or Ilana Rasputin. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, her filmography, basically, Split was like her first big movie. She was also in The Witch in 2015. Uh, then she was in Glass, the Split sequel. A lot of the other things she was in are not well-known films. She's kind of stayed to more the indie route. Understandable. Uh, All right. But, but she's very good. Let's talk about the main actress in, throughout this film, one who played Ellie. Oh, Tasman McKenzie? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen her in anything either before this. Neither have I, and she did this role really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the balance of innocence to trying to be a little bit more thing like Sandy at parts, the way she kind of played both ways. Fantastic. I, I, I have to agree on that. The way she was able to portray almost that schizophrenic sort of feel to her character mm-hmm. with how she was portraying the visions and everything. Uh, it, like I said, it gave me those like Donnie Darko sort of vibes. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um, just the way, like, at the very beginning, with the first 30 or 40 minutes, how, how reserved and, and shy she is. And just by seeing Sandy in these in these flashbacks or these visions or whatever you want to call them, she dyes her hair blonde, she kind of changes her whole attitude and demeanor. But she, she never... she designs her clothing after what she saw from Sandy. Right. What I like, though, is that the movie didn't have her divert so far away from who she was. They still made her her. You yeah. know, a lot of movies that are similar to ways they do this, sometimes they, they change the character so much that by the time we get to the end, they have lost who the character was in the beginning. And she never loses that. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, let's go. also go into... Let's go into Jack. Matt Smith. Yes. Um, man, I'll tell you something about him. So I'm looking at him in this movie, and initially he starts out as the, as the seems like the nice guy or who's going to be the love interest or, or whatever he is. But every time I look at him, I can never look at him that way. He's just so fucking creepy. He is, and... He almost feels like he gave off that sort of vibe. And if you've ever watched him in Doctor Who, like mm-hmm. he almost had that sort of vibe about him. But 
he does his roles so meticulously well. Yeah. Even the brief moments he was in Terminator Genesis. I mean, he was even good just in the brief moments we saw him there. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he took over. He he was Genesis, essentially. And it's almost a shame because I feel like in that movie, instead of John Connor becoming the bad guy, he should have transformed into Matt Smith. He would have been a more convincing villain. No, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and the and fact we- that he's able to do this role so well, especially for being an American actor, to mm-hmm. almost feel like you'd never think that he was... Uh, anything but British in the roles that he's done lately. Right. Well, we talked about him briefly about how he was supposed to have a role in The Rise of Skywalker. And even though in his interview he didn't disclose who he was going to be, unfortunately he never shot the role, he said it was going to flip Star Wars on its access. And I think that maybe he was going to be I like Paul King's son. No, I don't even think that. I'm thinking Plagueis? something grander. I think that he could have very well been our, seen our introduction to Plagueis. He would have made an excellent Darth Plagueis. I really think that Matt Smith uh, was hinting that we'd be finally seeing Darth Plagueis. I think there's an opportunity to still see him. You know, with so many shows and prequel stuff that they're doing and stories they're telling, the I think shows, there's still potential the for that. Stuff and then all the uh, side stories that we're getting. Yeah, I think there's still potential to bring him back. Maybe they have a bigger, a bigger grand idea for him in the uh, future. Speaking of, is the actor who played uh, Palpatine in the prequel trilogy still alive? Yes, Ian McDermott. Mm-hmm. If they bring him back to play uh, Palpatine right. or Darth Sidious, whatever you want to call him, it, like if they decided to do a series discussing his story or a mm-hmm. movie discussing Palpatine at all, to have, a, that would be almost a perfect way to introduce Darth Plagueis in there, into a Star Wars universe, and to, have, be... and to have Matt Smith playing Plagueis at that point. Do you think, too, that Matt Smith would make a good young Palpatine? I don't know if I'd go that far. Okay. I had to ask that question. I think he'd need to have a role that hasn't been seen in Star Wars yet. Yeah, I think you're right. Why have him duplicate what's been done before when he can bring something new to something like Plagueis who we've never seen before, just heard stories about? Yeah, so, yeah, Matt Smith, um, I was actually surprised that actually in the third act of the film, we really don't see him anymore. He's in the first two acts prominently, and then all of a sudden, we don't really see him at all except for a couple flashes when she's running... And he says one line here, one line there. It, I was shocked because I thought that in a lot of ways... I wasn't other than, really shocked because he wasn't really the main focal point of the film at all. True. Like his role was more supporting in the way that he was portrayed in the film. And his character really falls from grace because the first time we see him, he seems to be um, suave in the way he kind of seduces Sandy and how oh, she buys into that it. That just goes right into the culture of the 60s, especially back then mm-hmm. in Britain. Yeah, especially when he when he goes up to the guy and punches him in the face when he calls her a whore, um, tries Only to be the knight in shining him, armor. Like, half an hour later, you know, sitting there at the club, drinking with him at the bar, laughing. Yeah, he basically is the very thing that he punched out. 
worse, actually. I think worse. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the, the two girls are excellent. Matt Smith is excellent. Um, I, I, I love the way this film is shot. The visuals are so cool with how, oh, how you yeah. see Sandy walking down the stairs and then there's Ellie walking in conjunction with her. So from what I read online, they shot it in, um, uh, or in the way that the um, mirror effects were like, if you saw the two of them, almost the same exact action and everything, the mm-hmm. way they were looking at each other, like through the mirror almost. Yeah. I think they said they shot it with like a double sided mirror or something like that. They shot it with some, some specific kind of mirror in order to do those shots. Um, but Edgar Wright, this is a far cry from what he's done before. I mean, he's done films like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and The World's End. You know, those films had the visual style this film's got, but nowhere no, near the no, dramatic. No, 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 no. I would not what? even go that far. I think that this far outclassed the filming style and the visuals that oh, it does. you saw from Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead. It does. What I what I meant to say those there films, is those films felt more like indie films to me compared to this one. This felt like I agree, a good high quality, like well made film, and it yeah. sucks because you see the numbers that it's doing lately, and the mm-hmm. fact that you had just said before we had started that it's already going to on demand next week. And yeah, it's only been out for fifteen days, which is disgusting to me because this film. People deserve better. That people are sleeping on this film. I almost mm-hmm. feel like this is going to end up being one of those cult classics twenty years down the line that people are going to realize is as is just so well done. Yeah, well, I, I think what I meant to say there was is it had it had the editing and flashiness style that Edgar Wright brings to a film, but something about this was more there was more attention to detail and and the way things were done a little bit more higher class from those other films as far as budget and 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 it looks more a a movie versus more b indie-ish movie um but not even so much his visual style but just the the, the, the thematic material that he tells here those films have a lot of comedy to them this film has no comedy at all no no it doesn't this and is a different thing for I him and it was amazing me too. And, and and it's kind of sad because I don't know if you knew this, but Edgar Wright was initially supposed to do Ant-Man for Marvel. Really? He was. And then something about creative differences and he dropped out. I really would have wanted to see what he could have done with Ant-Man. It would have been interesting. I don't know. I don't know if it would have been what we know Ant-Man as, though. Well, he said there was going to be no quantum realm in his Ant-Man. There was going to be no quantum realm in his Ant-Man. So that would have changed things a lot. It would have been weird to see, but we'll we'll just have to, you know, at this point, just hope and dream. True that. Um, so what 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 scene in this film stood out to you the most? What was your favorite part? You're making me have to think hard on this one. Hmm. I can go first on this for you if it'll help. Um, okay. A lot of the things I like, I don't know if I can pick out one particular scene, but I just like, in general, how they were flashing back and forth between the 60s with, with, with Sandy and her and how they were bridging that together. Um, I liked the scenes of, of the opening scenes with getting to know Sandy. I thought those were really cool on how they were really developing her character and how we were seeing things. Um, 
I even like the scene where she's singing in the club to just the two guys and how passionate she is about her singing and singing in clubs. Oh, and your obsession with da- singing da- or listening to Downtown Now? That song is stuck in my head. I am wandering around, walking around all day the last two days, and I keep singing the goddamn chorus to that song. I, I, I can't get it out of my head. Her version of that song is so haunting, is haunting me. Literally, it's haunting me. <laughs> but it's so good. That's the thing. It's so good. No, I it's don't, not a I bad don't thing. blame you. Um, for me, I almost feel like I'd have to say the fact that uh, us finding out like the first real big uh, mind fuck of a film, and that's finding out that the guy that was the older guy was. Uh, Lindsay, after all, and not Jack. That was a good scene. That, that, that scene in the bar that, that, that led up to that scene, that was a pretty damn good scene. But with him downstairs in the basement of the bar, just sitting there, singing along, playing, like, orchestrating to the sound of a song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good scene. And then to find out what we find out at the end of that, that was, that was a pretty good twist. Because I know when, when that scene happened, I was like, oh my God, it's not Jack. So then where is Jack? Like, where is he then? And it's like, it was a big question mark. All of a sudden, five questions were entering my mind at this point. I know. And that's what I loved about this film is that as soon as the big moments starting to hit, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it turns into the, it's the psychological thriller aspect of this film. And it's like, all right, what happened with this, 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 this? Oh, what about that? How about this, that? What's going on with this? Why? Okay, we got that solved, but 20 more questions just popped up all of a sudden. In that moment, the movie made you question everything you thought you knew was going to happen. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. It was, because at that point, I pretty much thought I knew how it was going to end. I thought, you know, it's, it's going to be the hunt for Jack and, and finding out what happened to Sandy. Where's her body? What, what happened to her? What happened with Jack? But it didn't go that direction at all. And that's what made me happy because the direction I thought it was going to go in, it didn't go in whatsoever. Uh, I agree. Um, do you have anything else to discuss before we go into final grades? Um, no, I don't even want to say, even ask the question, like, what was your least favorite? Because really, to be honest, the only part, like I told you, that I wished it would have expanded more on was getting to know um, the other cop a little bit more and getting to know more of Sandy's backstory. But other than that, I don't really have much to complain about. I think that I, another one of my least favorite things about it would have been, I just wanted to see a little bit more of Jack in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I think that we should have got to know him a little bit better. So I do like how it was essentially his slap to uh, Sandy at the end mm-hmm. really was the thing that brought her back to actually being, you know, Sandy. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that about being back to Sandy because the one thing a lot of the reviews complain about, and I wanted to get your viewpoint on this real quick, a lot of the reviews complain about that the way the twist gets pulled off, how we're supposed to feel sympathetic for Sandy, but then all of a sudden we're, we're thrown into, oh, now she wants to kill Ellie and John. Now all of a sudden that sympathy we should no longer feel because she wants to kill our lead characters. And then all of a sudden she shifts back to not wanting to do it. A lot of people had a problem with how they pulled that off in a way. I, you see, I don't, I don't fucking agree with that. 
I thought that worked out well because essentially after everything happened with Jack and, you know, her stabbing him to death in self-defense, mm-hmm. it was all the trauma from everything that she had experienced up to that point that right. caused her to go off like she did. And that ended up turning to her being, you know, Alexandria. Like yeah, the too- name she was kept giving to everyone. And everybody forgets, too, that, like, the reason why I think she's able and willing to stab John so easily is because when she saw Ellie screaming during during that sequence and thought that maybe John was raping her, I think that let off some fireworks in her head. And it was a lot easier for her to stab John because she viewed him as in, oh, you were trying to do the very thing that happened to me, so fuck you, you know, kind well, of thing. not only that, people need to realize that, you know, it's almost like she – like everything in her past would have been brought back up. Like the fact right. that her, the fact that she was Sandy and that she disappeared, like she essentially faked her own death doing that, doing that, like all the murders and everything would be brought back up. She didn't want to mm-hmm. end up having all that, you know, brought back up. That's why she was so willing. And then it was essentially that slap from Jack that brought her back to reality to bring her realize like what she was doing and mm-hmm. why she ended up deciding, you know, I'm going to stay in here with the fire. Mm-hmm. Like a snap back to reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, so, I think the review is looking too far into that. I do. So for me, I, what do you have to say final grade, though? I want to hear your final thoughts. And um, I've been tossing this up for a while, and it's very hard for me to give a movie an A grade. It takes a lot for me. My standards for an A are very high. Um. But this movie is borderline close to it, and I and I flirted with giving it an A minus. I really did, and I and I'm tossing it between a B plus and A minus. But I think after talking about it more, and just seeing the performances and the visual style and how the plot wasn't predictable, I think I really am willing to give this a solid A minus. I have to agree. It takes a lot for me to like you, like just like you, to get to an A rating. Mm-hmm. I, I, the, discussing it more, going like going back through my head, looking at the different uh, points in the film that really bring your attention to what's going on, the mm-hmm. details, the shooting style, the graphics, the art, everything that they did in the film. Anna Taylor Joy's like singing of downtown in the oh, film. God. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, everything like everything came together so well. It did. It's. It feels like almost impossible for me to not give it that at least that A minus rating. No reason I don't give. Like you wouldn't be doing. I don't. I feel like you'd be doing it a great injustice if you didn't at least go watch this movie once. Yep, I agree, and 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 I recommend that if you're still afraid to go to the theater because of COVID, then get it on demand next week because you're missing a really quality film. You really are. You know, and um, yeah, the only reason why I don't give things a plus for me, it's like near perfection, like basically perfect. And the only reason why this misses just a little bit to a plus is just because, like we said, maybe a little bit more about Sandy, a little bit more Matt Smith and a little bit more. um, Right. Minus that, it would have been an a plus just those little quibs. And that's not even that bad. So no, not at all. So all in all, good. So, all right, we both love this film. We're both in agreement on just about everything on this movie. So, definitely all go see it. We highly recommend it. Um, uh, yeah, uh, 
so looking at this, it looks like the next time that you guys will be seeing us, it will be for the beginning of our Supernatural retrospective. Yeah. We're just um, working on getting the scheduling together for everyone involved with that project. And once we do, we're going to be starting with the episodes. I'd say that would start in the next two to three weeks. Um, I also want to do, um, at the end of December, we have to get the crew back and we have to discuss the Matrix Best Resurrections. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to do that. Not to have mention, to do it. at least me and you, Mike, will be involved in a best and worst of 2021. Yes, we have to do that as well because we did that before. So that's going to be an interesting list. And I can guarantee you right now, this will be up there on the best of 2021. Very oh, high up on that list. Easily. This was not, this was an unexpected film for me. Like I yep. said, I didn't know what to expect halfway through the film. I'm still trying to figure out, do I like it or do I just, or is it just not worth my time? And then, Everything that happened, everything clicked together, and yep. it just it blew my mind. This far exceeded any expectations that I would have had for the film. Very much so, and uh, I, I unfortunately uh, I read an article online saying that there was there were some good possible things for a sequel, but we know now that's not going to happen because the box office is too low. So, and I'm okay with that, but uh, I think there could have been some interesting story prospects for a potential sequel. There were. Uh, especially at the very end, obviously, the little vision of Sandy there blowing the kiss and winking mm-hmm. at the end of the film as the credits were rolling. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it's all in all very strong, but it was great to be back doing the podcast. It's been too oh, long. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, again last night in Soho. Go see it. Go see it in the theater. Support our theaters. They need the money. and yeah, They really uh, do need the money. I would greatly appreciate it if you guys did support your local economy by doing this. Yeah, local uh, theaters are very that, important. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews. That's a wrap. Cut and print. On our next podcast, we begin our supernatural retrospective as we break down all 15 seasons of the critically acclaimed series. Read more of our reviews and listen to all of our podcasts. Go to lcareviews.com. Subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms. Thank you for listening to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast.